and this is Conversational Commerce, the podcast where we break down the biggest industry news and trends by talking shop with the retail dive team, thought leaders, and executives. Today, we're talking about corporate culture. On paper, these two words are enough to make anyone's eyes roll, but lately, they've become much more than just buzzwords. As executives are talking about more and more, having a purposeful and healthy culture is essential to running an operational business that consumers actually want to support. You needn't look further than Nike to see why this is crucial. Earlier this month, two female former employees filed a class action lawsuit against the athletic brand, alleging sex discrimination on the grounds that Nike pays women less than their male counterparts, promotes women less, and offers them smaller annual salary increases and bonuses. Overall, the company is described as having a quote-unquote boys club culture. So today on the show, we're going to break down just what this means for Nike. But of course, they're not the only company struggling with this. In fact, as you'll hear later in the show from culture and branding expert Denise Lee Yan, the industry as a whole has a culture problem. The good news, though, is that more people are talking about what they want their culture to be and what they need to do to get there. Denise shared a number of tips with me that retailers and brands can use to fuse their brand purpose and their mission statement into one single purpose that promotes a positive work culture. All right, let's dive in. I'm back in the studio with Retail Dive Associate Editor, Kara Salpini. Hey, Kara. Hey, Corinne. So let's just jump right into it. As you've been covering in your reporting, corporate culture, particularly toxic culture, has become a major conversation across all industries, including retail this year. That's in part thanks to the Me Too movement, which has raised awareness about gender power imbalances and discrimination in the workplace. Because of this, more women have felt comfortable speaking out about unhealthy corporate environments and begun demanding change. So as a result, more executives have come under investigation for misconduct allegations, and many have ultimately resigned or been fired. Nike has also come under fire for not just one, but a slew of executives and signs of a systemically toxic, quote unquote, boys club culture. All of this has really come to a head in the last week. So Kara, can you break down what the latest news is at Nike? Yeah, so basically there was a lawsuit filed in the U.S. District Court of Oregon that was claiming sexual discrimination at Nike. And so the the two plaintiffs in the case, or primary plaintiffs in the case, it is a class action lawsuit, are Sarah Johnston and Kelly Cahill. And they're essentially saying that Nike discriminates against women in terms of pay, um, in terms of promotions, and that they funnel them into jobs that are less likely to create more opportunities for for uh, um, salary raises and for promotions. So those are those are sort of half of the claims. And the other side is sexual harassment at uh, the athletics retailer. So there were several incidents that are described um, in detail in the lawsuit about executives saying inappropriate things, um, inappropriate actions towards female employees, and just a lot of, like you said, toxic and boys club-like incidents. And the lawsuit gets pretty graphic, right? I mean, it there's does, a lot of vulgarities yeah. in there. Um, it's it's It gets very detailed about, especially um, there's an incident with one Nike executive in which 
an employee witnessed him pushing a female employee against a wall and sticking his hand up her skirt. And there were apparently multiple employees there at the time who witnessed it and nothing was apparently done about it. HR basically told her to forget about it. No disciplinary measures were going to be taken. They had looked into it and uh, he was later promoted and she would be working more closely with him after that. Yeah. And so you spoke with some of the attorneys that are representing these women. Um, What do they have to say with this? And are they optimistic that this um, lawsuit, this class action, as you're saying, will spark some kind of bigger change there at Nike? Yeah. um, I I spoke with Anna Joyce, who is a partner with Markowitz Herbold, and she was was basically saying it's not that Nike hasn't done um, positive things in the past, but what we're trying to fix is the corporate culture. So it's not so much um, Nike as a retailer that needs to change, but Nike's workplace that needs to change. And she she is optimistic about the case that they have. I asked her specifically about, you know, what Nike's done in the past to combat, um, to combat this. And she said, you know, we knew about that when we filed the lawsuit. Uh, we still think we have a strong case, even though they've they've made efforts in the past. And uh, basically that, that it's a more systemic issue than just these few isolated incidents. Right. So I guess the big question now is, what is Nike doing about all of this? And as we know from your reporting in the last couple of months, Nike implemented a cultural review, which, you know, resulted in a lot of these executives leaving. But, you know, what are the actionable steps that they're taking now or say that they're taking in the future? Yeah, well, it's not clear exactly right now what they're going to do with regards to the lawsuit. As I wrote in the most recent piece I had on it, they uh, did not comment because they don't comment on litigation. But in the past, you know, they apologized. They've uh, purged executives. They they got rid of over 10 executives in the the March to May sort of time frame. Uh, They've promoted women to previous uh, executive positions. They've raised salaries. It also might be smart to look at Lululemon as an example here, because Lululemon, like you said, had an issue with CEO Lauren Poddevin, and in his stead replaced him with Calvin McDonald, uh, who came from Sephora, and Sephora is very much on the other end of the spectrum. They're very much viewed as a, a diverse retailer, really women-focused. Um, so, so on their part, that was a really smart move to sort of get back on the right track, especially from, from the corporate side of things from one aspect, right, this is what does it mean for the employees of Nike, but what does this also mean for Nike consumers? So, so far, is the company seeing any kind of blowback from consumers? How is this hurting their branding or their reputation? It, it sort of depends. There are some, there are some measures that show that, that Nike's brand has already been affected by some of these issues. So there's, there was a study by YouGov Brand Index in May, which showed that 35% of people surveyed said they would consider buying from Nike, which is its lowest level in 11 months. And so that was before this, this lawsuit came out. Uh, then again, the most recent quarter, that we covered showed no signs that sales had been impacted. Uh, Nike still seemed to be doing well. It, it, it didn't seem to impact the bottom line at all. And the company is is one of the top athletics brands for Gen Z, as well as just across the board. So it's not clear exactly how much um, cases like this or incidents like this really impact the company's sales, at least. Um, it's, it's another question how many customers are going to look at Nike in the future and say, okay, we've seen, you know, four or five instances where people have brought up sexual discrimination and start to associate it with that kind of an anti-female sentiment. 
So at Nike, we also know they've really been prioritizing innovation around women's styles. So what do you think the company needs to do in order to come back from this? And, and can they come back from it? I mean, I think I think they can definitely come back from it. They're a very strong brand. And um, like, like I said, you know, they have a lot of a lot of fans and a lot of a lot of people who, who really like the, the products that they produce as well. So I don't think it's a question of, of whether or not they can come back. I think it's more a question of how many times this is going to occur, how many customers really care about that. And I think it is becoming more of more of a thing in retail where customers are, are paying more attention to that. They want to know uh, what social causes their brands support. They want to know what kind of corporate culture their favorite brands support. So I think it is more of a threat for this company going forward than it, than it perhaps has been in the past, but they definitely are, are still strongly positioned in the athletics market. So I don't think it's, a, it's an immediate issue, but it will be long-term if they can't uh, figure out <laughs> how, to, how to address women in the workplace because that's eventually going to translate to women who are shopping there and they're not going to want to anymore. Yeah, well, we'll keep watching your coverage and thanks so much for coming on the show. Yep, anytime. I'm back in the studio now with Denise Lee Yan, an expert on brand leadership. She is also the author of several business books, including her most recent one, which came out earlier this year and is titled Fusion, How Integrating Brand and Culture Powers the World's Greatest Companies. Hi, Denise. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to have you on. Um, you are a prolific speaker about the topic of company culture and branding and kind of how companies fuse those two things together. Yeah, well, it's a topic I'm very passionate about, so thanks. Well, today I wanted to start off the conversation on a bit of a newsier note. As Retail Dive has been reporting on um, just this year, many executives have been let go or resigned from top companies in the retail industry like Nike and Lululemon because of allegations of misconduct. These are just a few big retail themes. They're obviously the most public and extreme examples, but I think it does beg the question, does retail have a corporate culture problem? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at turnover alone, um, uh, that has been, I kind, of, I think, kind of like an average part-time retail employee turnover has been like in the 70s and rising over the past few years. And I really think that at this point, there's almost, you could say, a war for retail talent out there with um, employees just jumping from job to job. And I think that's an indication that few retailers are offering them an experience and a culture that they want to stay with. So that's definitely um, an indicator of a culture problem at in retail. I think also just um, the many incidences that we see with customer experience failures, um, you know, popping up on social media and all the videos that are that are captured to show, um, you know, what customers think of as really just poor um, performance by retail employees. That's, I think, another indicator that, yes, retail does have a culture problem. It seems like we're talking more about corporate culture than we have before in the industry. So I, I wonder why that is. I mean, how have you seen the conversation change over the, the last five, 10 years? Mm -hmm. Well, certainly, as I said, the war for talent rages in retail as well as many other industries. And so I think that has raised uh, business leaders' um, 
interest in how do I attract and retain top talent. So I think that culture has become a, a hot topic because of that. Also because of the incidences of sexual harassment and issues of diversity and equality and inclusion, a lot of companies are struggling more with that as our workforces diversify and um, disperse really. Um, and then I think there's there's the general lack of employee engagement. I believe the Gallup organization reports it at somewhere like only only like 13 to 15 percent of employees are engaged at the workplace, which just generally shows that there's just a lack of engagement and maybe even um, disengagement at, at um at companies. And so I think it's all rising to a head, but perhaps maybe the most important reason is that um, culture is becoming a way for companies to establish a competitive advantage and to deliver a more um, effective, superior customer experience. And so I think company leaders are starting to say, hey, if we don't address this culture issue, we are not going to survive. So it seems like the examples that have been, you know, most in in the public have been issues where there has been a clear toxic culture at companies. So I wonder, you know, what advice you give for companies to identify what their culture is, whether or not it's toxic and how they can revamp it to help their employees and, and customers as well. Well, I think it first starts with the understanding that, you know, it, it doesn't matter what you think your culture is or what you want your culture to be, but rather I think you need to do a, a clear and sober assessment of what your culture is like at your company. Um, I have a tool, um, you, met, you mentioned the book that I recently published, Fusion, and as part of that, I launched a free online assessment tool that enables you to determine, you know, what is your existing culture like versus your desired culture. And there are lots of other cultural assessments and frameworks that can be used. Um, but I think that it first starts with just kind of the awareness that you can't just say that you want a certain kind of culture and then assume that it's going to happen. Um, it requires deliberate effort on your part. And the first step is to really assess where you are relative to your desired culture. It seems like culture, as you've mentioned, is becoming a bigger part of branding. So, you know, you, you want your culture to be positive, right, so that your employees are more engaged. I think this goes back to the themes that you were talking about with retention, keeping good talent on board. Um, but it also plays into what your customers think of you and, you know, whether or not they feel more loyal and feel more of a connection to you. Um, so why is it that culture is becoming a part of the branding in a way that it wasn't before? You know, we need to first address the fact that beyond a certain baseline, there is really no universal definition of a good culture. Just as there is no universal definition of a good customer experience beyond a certain baseline. I mean, you know, you, there, there's certain elements that you need to have, but really if you want to stand out as a brand, if you want to deliver customer experiences that bring your brand, your, your specific brand attributes and values to life, if you want to achieve the um, specific business results that you're looking for and address the unique challenges that you as a business and organization have, then you need to have a culture that is unique and that really embodies the the uniqueness of what you stand for. And that really is your brand, you know? So I think that your culture and your brand need to be mutually reinforcing and so tightly integrated and aligned because without that, you know, you're not going to have the, the competitive advantage and, and the brand uh, value that you need to really succeed. 
There is an interesting example. I wrote a story um, a couple of months back at the end of last year, uh, looking at you know how the marketing played into um, you know loyalty for REI, which I think is often called out as an example of a company that does a really good job of doing this. But they had a campaign called Force of Nature, which really rallied a lot of women together around the notion that you know females are being underrepresented in outdoor activities, and so with that campaign, they increased their assortment in high tech gear for women, and you know had a very prolific social media campaign to engage their customers. And with that, the company found that full price women's business went up 20% during the height of its run. And I think that seems like an example of a company that because of that campaign, you know, was able to attach its customers with its brand mission in an interesting way. I wonder what you think of that example. And if there are other companies that you think are really hitting the nail on the head with this. It is an excellent example because I think it really, as you said, um, that effort came from the core of what REI is. You know, its mission is to bring the adventure and excitement of the outdoors to its customers. And really, another example from REI is is its opt outside campaign. You know, um, the decision to close its doors on Black Friday actually initiated from this this idea that hey, as a company, we want to do things for our employees that reinforce our mission. Why don't we pay them to go outside instead of working? on Black Friday and let's close our doors and invite our customers to join them as well. And so I think that, you know, that it, when you do things that are grounded in your overarching purpose and reflect your unique core values, you not only engage your employees so that they then um, in turn engage your customers, but I think that you actually do differentiate your brand and make your brand stand out. People who share your values and who want to be a part of your purpose are naturally attracted to you. You mentioned there, there's no silver bullet. There's no you know clear example of what is good culture. Um, but you mentioned it goes back to the core mission of you know what the company stands for. Are there other pieces of advice that you would say in terms of process? I mean, where does a company start out and say, "Here's how we want to revamp our corporate culture. Here's what we want it to be." How do they go about achieving that? Yeah, so um, very quickly, um, because this, I wrote a whole book about the topic, um, <laughs> but very quickly, I do think it starts with an overarching purpose, a single purpose for your brand and your organization. Instead of having like a, a brand purpose and then a mission statement, you want to unite your employees and everything that you do around an overarching purpose and a single set of core values that guide their behaviors and attitudes and guide what you want your brand to stand for. Also, as a leader, you need to take responsibility for cultivating this culture. Uh, as we talked about at the beginning, you can't just you know say it and it will happen. You need to take deliberate steps. And so in my book, I outline five steps to do so. I'll just highlight one of them, which is to create culture-changing employee experiences. You know, you can't expect your employees to create experiences for customers that they don't have themselves. So you need to take all of the focus and priority that you put on customer experience and do the same thing with your employee experience. Design experiences that bring your unique brand attributes and your purpose and your values to life. And you know, journey map out how an employee experiences your organization just the same way you would do with a company and how can you optimize each touch point, each interaction, each step so that your employees really get a good sense of the, the difference that you're trying to make in the world and how then they can deliver that to customers. And so throughout the research for your book, I imagine that you looked into a lot of companies and have a good sense for where the business industries are at with this. And do you think that this is a conversation that 
you know, the majority of the industry or just a small players um, in the field are looking at? And, you know, when when do you think this will be, you know, top of mind for all companies? Well, I do think it is an emerging topic and that is coming on leaders' radar screens. And, um, you know, I would just say that it's going to take time for it to become, for, for culture building as a discipline to become mainstream. And that's part of the reason why I wrote my book, because I didn't think there was a lot of instruction out there about how do you cultivate the kind of culture that you want. So it'll take some time. But I think if we look at examples, everything from from Amazon to REI, um, you know, to Airbnb, for example, and and we look at what they're doing, as well as companies that we've admired for years, whether that's Starbucks or, or Southwest Airlines, and dissect what it is that they have done to integrate and align brand and culture and make that a priority. It, you can indeed achieve the desired culture that you're looking for and that your business really needs. Right. Well, thank you so much, Denise, for all your insight and perspective on this topic. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Corinne. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Conversational Commerce. For all the latest updates on industry news, analysis, and trends, subscribe to our free daily newsletter at retaildive.com. If you like this show, leave us a review on iTunes and stay tuned for more episodes. Until next time, I'm Corinne Ruff, and this was Conversational Commerce.